Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and joining me as my co-host, Stephen Kerr. And, and I've got illnesses and now you've got illnesses. It's that time of the year again. <laughs> yeah, it is the holidays after all. And, you know, colds, flu, you name it, it's happening. And I mean, I was feeling kind of okay until toward the end of the Rocket Spurs game, and then I really got sick. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not feeling much better after that game on on Tuesday night that once again, you know, the Rockets had a, a 20-something point lead, and they let it get away. How many times are we going to see this from this team? Yeah, last time uh, we knocked around the Rockets on the show, they had won eight in a row, and I said at the time that their schedule hadn't been all that difficult, and the stretch coming up will show us where they're at. Since then, they've lost four of six games, and Stephen the alarm bells are starting to show with some of these losses, like the stuff that we're worried about. Well, and here's the thing. Yes, the Spurs are having a down season, but they're still the Spurs, and I don't think they're going to stay that way forever. But they certainly weren't playing well. I mean, they were losing to teams like the Pistons. And, uh, you know, it, it just the, – the the Rockets have a problem with – it. I almost panic when they get a 20-point lead late in a game. I mean, of course, the Hawks game, they – pretty much blew them out from start to finish. But when they develop a lead late in the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, and it's 15, 20 points, I almost I almost get scared, and with good reason, because they just totally lost their intensity. They weren't playing defense. The turnovers, my goodness. It, it just, the, the Rockets have been a very inconsistent team since the beginning of the season. And yeah, they had that eight-game stretch, and they did play through some injuries and are still playing through some injuries. And illnesses and so forth but it's still maddening when you have a team like the Spurs on the ropes who haven't been doing that well and you just let it get away nobody's going to play violins for you when you still have what are quote-unquote your two best players and I might make an argument otherwise later but one thing we've started to see is all those reasons Russell Westbrook is a problem he can't shoot he turns the ball over he makes bad mistakes we know the story the Clippers game Exhibit A. For some reason, Harden throws the ball over to Westbrook in the last possession. He bricks a three-pointer instead of trying to take it to the basket. So there you go. That's that game. And it's worth noting, Stephen, especially after that 7-for-30 performance against the Spurs Tuesday night, his 41% from the field is his worst since his rookie year. Worst since his rookie year. And his embarrassing 22.9% from three-point range is the worst since his second year in the league. And I'm guessing if this is what it is when the season's over with, and I, I got no reason to think that it's going to change, then you know it could be a historically bad year from three-point range for a volume shooter. Well, that's what so many people were saying when the trade was made. And you and I, of course, were two of those people, Robert. That was the one thing that we kept pointing to, is that Russell Westbrook takes a lot of bad shots. And case in point of what you just said, he had a triple-double during the Spurs game. But guess what? He was 7 of 30 from the floor and 1 for 6 in three-point range. I believe he was 2 of 7 in the fourth quarter in the overtime. So, yeah, you can have a triple-double and score points, but according to the number of shots you take, that's just way too many. And even James Harden was missing late in the fourth quarter in the overtimes, too. It's just, But, yeah, Russell Westbrook, I mean, this has been his problem all throughout is that he just takes so many unnecessary bad shots, and he certainly was doing that on Tuesday. Yeah. And it's just, it's IQ. It's IQ with him. It's IQ with the Rockets. The Spurs game, that was everything that scares me about Harden plus Westbrook 
plus D'Antoni, IQ and clutch. Let's go to, through this. I've already gone over West Brick's awful game. Meanwhile, D'Antoni refused to call a timeout in the final two minutes, even when his team was blowing the 22-point lead and they couldn't get off a good shot. He went into overtime with a timeout. He didn't use like his... You know, like his brother is Bill O'Brien or something. Yeah, like that. he didn't. He had a timeout when when the Spurs tied the game and the Rockets had what eight tenths of a second left. He didn't call the timeout to set up a play then either. Yeah, I I don't get it, and that kind of went unnoticed. I saw on Rockets Twitter, but that's something, and that that's something that bothers me at times. Where don't D'Antoni, you know, his rep is he's not necessarily like the rep of a late game guy, a fourth quarter guy. And then there's James Harden, who couldn't stop taking threes, even though he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn from long distance. When you're aching for baskets in the fourth quarter in overtime, drive to the hole, post up, take a 14-footer, do something else. It was like Game 7 versus Golden State two years ago, Stephen, all over again. Yeah, I'm all over again. And, and you know, some of this, honestly, Robert, and, and this is one of the things that bothered me, when the Westbrook trade was made, is that Westbrook kind of fits in to Mike D'Antoni's scheme of, just let the players take their shots. You know, the more threes you take, yeah, you're going to miss a lot, but you're going to make some at a stretch. I, th- this has come back to burn this team over and over. But Mike D'Antoni, it just seems to me, is very stubborn in his resolve, about as stubborn as Bill O'Brien is and the way he does some of his coaching, is that he's not going to change. And, you know, again, but but the results aren't changing either. Yes, the Rockets are winning some games when they do that, but they're losing some and in in an extreme fashion like they did on Tuesday night. James Harden trusts the wrong guy. You know, he trusts Russell Westbrook, and he's like, ah, I'll give him the ball. And, you know, he didn't trust Chris Paul for whatever reason. Uh, you know, obviously there was a personality conflict because Chris Paul would always get on him, I'm sure, and, and say, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. And James doesn't like to hear criticism and Russell Westbrook doesn't like to hear criticism so they're like two peas in a pod and James trusting Russell Westbrook that's not the guy you want to trust because look he's got a history of this I mean I I got people coming at me on Twitter saying well let's wait till the playoffs I've had 10 years of watching Russell Westbrook in the playoffs it's this is the concern with Russell Westbrook it's not you don't worry about the Rockets when they have James Harden in the regular season because as long as James is on the on the court Stephen they're going to win 50 games. It's it's what they do in the playoffs. Yeah, it's that's where it counts. And and of course, this just gives more ammunition for the for the Harden haters. I mean, I saw a number of things on Twitter when Harden scored his 60 points against the Hawks. How people were, you know, all over him because the Rockets were up by 58 at one point and Harden was still playing. Of course, he didn't play the fourth quarter, and he was just piling up point after point after point. Got 60 points and looked like it at least from a a graphic it looked like he was upset because he came out in the fourth quarter and so he's taking a lot of heat for that but but this just gives more ammunition for the haters that you know he's going to Russell Westbrook when he could have gone you know Clint Capella was you know early in the game he was driving to the hoop he was making baskets he had 22 points 21 rebounds you know the the, the Rockets just have this thing where there are times when they will drive to the basket when they make the some inside shots and they're making them but then when they go back to start shooting up the threes and they're not falling, it, it's almost as if they refuse to break away from it. Yeah, and I, I thought I was having a flashback during the Spurs game with the awful officiating. It felt like uh, Rockets playing in Salt Lake City circa 1988 or 1994. The only thing missing was Jerry Sloan's whining and John Stockton 
flopping and Carl Malone flailing. The Rockets are protesting this game after, let's call it, the invisible dunk. Uh, Stephen, did you read the NBA fishing report after the game? Yeah, I did. And I mean, according to the official, the head official, James Capers, you know, he was even saying, he basically admitted that the shot went in, but that Mike D'Antoni missed his window of opportunity to challenge a second time. I mean, he challenged the goaltending. But my question is, Robert, that means they, they had another opportunity to look at it with the goaltending. So how in the world could they have missed the fact that the shot went? I mean, it it it, it Harden dunked it so hard that it basically bounced out in and out and in and in again. I don't understand. They, they had a chance to look at it with the goaltending. How could they not have seen it? It was only until they went back later after the game that Capers admitted, yeah, it, it went in. But because there's a 30-second window of opportunity, that D'Antoni missed his his time to, to challenge it a second time. Yeah, I'm going to quote him on this. When he, when he was asked about that, he said, when the play happened, Harden goes in for a dunk, then the ball appears to go pop up through the net. When that happens, that's basket interference. Now, there's three officials on the court. Somehow I saw this at home. Three officials on the court couldn't see that the ball went through the hoop and flipped over. And then, you know, he goes on to say, to have a successful field goal, it must clear the net. Yeah, we get it. We have since come here and, and looked at the play. He dunked it so hard that the net carried it back, blah, 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 blah. As to could the play have been reviewed, it's a reviewable matter, but you have a window of 30 seconds to challenge it, like you were saying, Stephen. And then what he says is the Rockets were wait, wasted the 30 seconds trying to get clarification. Well, if you're an official and it takes you that long to clarify something, then you're a, you're a bad official and you should be fired on the spot. I mean, it's just ridiculousness that, I mean, we're, we've got a new rule and the officials don't know what's reviewable and what's not, and they can't explain it to Mike D'Antoni. I mean, this excuse was beyond idiocy. But the other thing that just irks me about this, Stephen, that just makes me so angry is officials can go back three minutes later, as long as it's in the middle of a game, and look if a guy's foot is on the line for a three-pointer. Well, could you not have checked at a timeout to see if a ball goes through the freaking basket. Isn't that just as important? I mean, that's two points instead of one point. Come on, guys. Yeah, and that's funny you say that, Robert, because that was the first thing I thought of when they ruled that, yeah, it wasn't goaltending, but the basket still didn't count. I'm like, well, wait. You know, they do this with three-pointers all the time. Why can't they go check it while the play resumes and then make a ruling a few minutes later? I mean, I've never understood that to begin with, but I guess it's to keep from delaying the game. But, you know, it's almost as if he was covering up for his own mistake, James Capers, that is, that he blew the call. And and it just goes back to if they reviewed the goaltending, I, I still maintain they had plenty of time to look at it from different angles. Why couldn't they have seen that it indeed did go back in, that even after that? And so, therefore, you wouldn't need to have challenged it again. He would have said the basket counted, and we wouldn't even be having this conversation. So the Rockets, like I said, they're protesting this. And Stephen, you know, knowing the Rockets, they, uh, just the, the way the NBA works, I doubt this goes anywhere. I mean, you could pick the game up with from that point with eight minutes to go. And I, I guess you would play it the same night that the Rockets would play the Spurs the next time or something. I, I don't know Probably. how they would do it's this. It's rare. Yeah, it's rare that that would happen. But but let's be clear, Robert. Yeah, that that may have been a factor in costing the Rockets the game, but Honestly, the Rockets still should have won that game, even with the disallowed basket. Oh, of course. I mean, we we just went through all of the reasons why they should have won the game. But 
you know, it, it, we've seen it happen before. We see we saw with the Miami Heat a few years ago, there was a game that was continued with a couple minutes to play. Now, this would be eight minutes instead of two minutes. And if you're playing eight minutes and then you're playing, then you got another 48 after that. I don't know how, how the NBA would look upon something like that, but there is a, a, a good point where maybe the Spurs and the Rockets are very close to each other in proximity. So if the two of them have an off day and there's a chance to play eight minutes of a game, I guess maybe they, the NBA would be okay with that and spend the money and bring an officiating team for the final eight minutes or something like that. But I mean, this is we're, we're doing this Wednesday morning, so it could have, you know, it could have already been denied, but you know, I could see it. I mean, it's possible. I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying it's not going to happen, but it's possible. Well, it is the NBA. You just never know, especially when it comes to this officiating. And, I, you know, we, we, of course, criticize the NFL and their officiating. But I honestly think the NBA officiating is worse. And it, and it just seems to get worse every year. And why does it always seem to involve the Rockets? I know other teams get – they get shafted too. We, we just don't always see it all the time. But, boy, it just seems like the Rockets get shafted with so many games, whether it's in the regular season – or even in the postseason, you've talked about the Utah thing. I remember in 77 when the Rockets lost to the 76ers where they they said that John Lucas traveled toward the end of the game. They ended up losing that playoff series. Jake O'Donnell was the infamous official there. So, yeah, we just keep pointing to game after game where it seems that the Rockets get shafted by the officiating. I mean, it was a point where you could have just – official could walk over. I mean, look, the Rockets wouldn't have gone that crazy immediately – and James Harden wouldn't have gone that crazy immediately. I mean, I know James is a whiner, whatever. No, no, no. The reaction was almost in- instantaneous. Like, what the hell? The ball went through the basket. What are we? What are we doing? And you know, if you're an official, you got to okay. Why not? The games. It's not like you know. It's this isn't an NBA playoff game. Just go, go take go take a look at it. The, the three guys say they missed it. I mean, it was a weird thing because the net goes back around and and through. And and, and the, the, to me, the stupid thing from a like just a the visual standpoint is the net flips over the rim. Well, right, if the ball goes right. back through the basket, is what they're claiming. They said they thought the ball hit James in the head or something like that after it went went through one way and came back the other way, which is an offensive goaltending. Well, if it do, did that, well then how did the net flip over like around the rim? That it, it you know it's just it's just. I, we need to start checking the IQs of these guys. I mean, everybody ta- always claims, yeah, let's check their vision. No, let's check the IQ because it's just, sometimes it's just there should be some stuff that's just like, hey, this is dumb guy stuff. And, you know, the reason why people hate all of these re- all the if- officials is because it's it's not because they screw up, you know, something in real time. It's because in all of these leagues, whether it's Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, and especially NBA and NFL it's they they screw something up, then they look at it. It's like every fan at home goes after like one replay. Okay, this is what happens. They either don't change it because you know they they've got a screw loose, or you know they they're stubborn and we're not going to change. You know we're not going to make our our guys look bad, or they have to look at it for five minutes, which when it's something that we saw in like. 30 seconds, like everybody at home goes, I, I want replay. Oh, I see what happened. I mean, th- there's a lot of that in all three leagues. And it, it, it just gets ex- tiring and exhausting because it ends up being all we talk about. And the league should be embarrassed by it. I mean, all three leagues should be embarrassed by their by what's going on with their officials. Well, and I thought the whole idea of replay is to make sure the officials did get it right, 
even if you have to take two or three minutes to look at it or what have you. But it just seems that we have these instances where, yeah, I don't know if they're just it's a it's a pride thing and they don't want to go. You know, the guys that are up in the replay booth, they don't want to go against their own. Look, the whole idea of replay is supposed to clean the game up and to make sure these calls are right, because it does cost teams games in so many instances, and especially in the playoffs. I mean, this this wasn't a playoff game. This was a, a game fairly early in the season, but it still counts. And, you know, who who knows, Robert, if the Rockets, if the same thing happened last year where one game could have determined whether they had, you know, home court advantage being in the top three or what have you, this game could have been part of that, and it would have been earlier in the season. So every game means something, unless it's a preseason game. So I just don't understand how, if replay is supposed to be cleaning the game up, making the officials look better, then why isn't it Why isn't it doing so, especially in cases like this? And we didn't even talk about the guy who was mopping the floor, who was in the way that almost said, that James had to wait till he got out of the way before he even made the dunk. <laughs> yeah. That was it, crazy. It, yeah, it looked like... Uh... Uh, James was having to play slalom out there trying to, to make his way. He, he, he pauses. And I, I mean, it, it was like, you know, like I said, it was like, it was like an old fashioned Utah game. Okay. We're going to throw a guy out on the floor to make it hard for the Rockets to fast break after a point, And then we're going to pay off the officials. And then, uh, you know, there was a lot, I mean, it just wasn't that call though. There was a lot of questionable calls against the Rockets. I, I, I thought, the foul on James with the elbow. I mean, Matt Bullard usually is on the rocket side on everything, but he said, well, no, he gave him an elbow. No, James went straight up. The The defender was like basically hovering over James. So, you know, James made what I thought was a basketball move. He had to get, he had to get the ball up immediately and he goes straight up and then they, they, they call him a foul for elbowing the defender. I just thought, you know, that was there was just a bunch of stuff that I was like, yeah, this just this this is a game they're going to lose because this is this is like Utah. This is like being in Salt Lake. This is the weird bounces, the weird fans, the bad calls, the you know, the only thing that was missing was the clock stuff. I mean, that was all that was missing from this game. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can Stephen, believe it or not, I can give you a glass half full on the Rockets. Are you ready? Sure, you bet. Okay, well, here's some good news. And it'd be hard to believe with this uh, roster as old as it is that they had a higher ceiling than last year. But James Harden, better player than this year. I mean, you you can't argue that. I mean, I think he's a better player. He's making tougher shots. It seems like every three-pointer that he makes is more difficult than it was even last year because, you know, they're they're figuring out – you know what he's doing and it's becoming harder and harder and he's still making it and he's still averaging more points and he's still getting to the free throw line more than he has. I mean, just all of that Capella, he's a better player, 20 rebound games. Now, uh, one after the other. Now the 20 rebound games, is it because Russell Westbrook is allowing him to get 20 rebounds with all of his misses? Well, that's a whole other story, but, but Ben Backlamore actually a good player, meaning he's a better player. PJ Tucker, better shooter, Daniel house, Better player when you can keep him on the court. Get on the court, Daniel. Uh, don't get hurt anymore. Steven, your superstar and four of your key role players made their games better. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I think if the Rockets did anything, not just with the Westbrook trade, but of course retaining Daniel House and some of the other players they picked up, Tyson Chandler, you know, when he's been in there, he's contributed. I, I think if anything, the Rockets have definitely increased their depth, which is really going to be a big deal. Unless, of course, you play double overtime games like the Rockets did the Spurs. But in all seriousness, it, it's going to be a big deal when you get later in the season and going into the playoffs. 
you can rest these guys a little bit better, of course, depending on where the game is at a certain point. So I think if the Rockets did anything, they improved their depth. You have some really good role players, and and they have stepped in. I mean, let's be honest. The Rockets had a ton of injuries early in the season where you would think they would get off to another 11-14 and 14 start like they did last season. But a lot of these guys, uh, House and Ben McLemore, you know, and Tyson Chandler, players who had to step in, it was a next-man-up mentality, and they did their job. They kept the Rockets in there even when those players were out. Right, and they improved their bench a little bit. I mean, look, Chris Clemens and Gary Clark and Hartenstein and all, all these guys, you, you know, they're, they're not anything all that special. And we saw, you know, those guys, the, the back of the bench guys, and throws Tavo Cephalosha into that, pretty much gave you a zero in the Spurs game. And if you got anything, if you got just some points from any of those guys, it, it, it's a different deal because when, uh, you know, when the other players went to the bench, it was Austin Rivers and, and then that was it. But you know already, right? You know who their lineup is in the playoffs if everybody's healthy. It's the starting five, Daniel House, of course, being the fifth guy, Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers, Ben McLemore, and Tyson Chandler. That's your nine yeah. players. No, no if question that about many. it. If that many. I mean, sometimes Dan Tony's even stuck with eight when you get to the postseason, so... Who knows, somebody like McLemore, you know, unless he's just lights out for the rest of the season, you may not see that much of him. I mean, D'Antoni does tend to narrow it down when the postseason gets here, but but you're right. that That's who you're going to see. The, the others are fringe players, obviously. They've had to play more just because of the injuries and the illnesses and the other things that have affected the Rockets. Yeah, and Tyson Chandler is probably more, more the guy that's going to be in and out of that nine, depending on the matchup. And because McLemore, you know, the the fact that he can shoot uh, him and Austin Rivers, it's going to be depending on what's going on. But I, I, I can see the three smaller guys, Gordon McLemore and Austin Rivers, playing in every playoff game. I mean, you can definitely go eight with those guys. And, you know, Austin Rivers, you know, he had a big night scoring and offensively against the Spurs. But, I mean, his shooting percentage this year has been really pathetic. So he's, I mean, from three anyway. So he's got a improve that I mean looking forward at the schedule it's an easy schedule after this Toronto game uh, Thursday uh, they've got Phoenix Sacramento Cleveland Orlando and Detroit so hopefully you can rack up some wins with those teams but Stephen if anybody's not playing you know paying close attention to this Raptors team they're fourth in the NBA in team point differential uh, they've barely broken stride without Kawhi the only team's Above them in point differential, uh, Milwaukee, of course, that's, you know, they're doing it again this year. Ridiculous 12 points per game difference way ahead of everybody else. And the Lakers, who I may have been wrong on having them fourth or fifth. I, I, I didn't expect the, expect the Dwight Assance and, the, and uh, you know, just LeBron James deciding to play defense this year. And the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, that's the, that's the other team that's ahead of the Rockets. Rockets tied for eighth, eighth with the Pacers. Ouch. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And, you know, as we get further into the season, I mean, this, this is how things are going to play out. Yeah, it's still a long season and anything can happen. But, uh, yeah, as far as uh, the Raptors or the Rockets' uh, next opponent as we're recording this, you know, sometimes it, it, how many times have we seen a team who loses what everybody thinks is their best player? They can't possibly recover from it. How many times do we see that they actually bounce back and play just as well and in some cases better than when that player was there in the first place. I mean, look at, you know, you can turn to baseball and say that the Nationals, hey, they won the World Series after Bryce Harper left, and, and on and on it goes. 
But uh, yeah, the Raptors are, and it's going to be in Toronto. So that's not going to be an easy game, but it does get a little bit easier, as you said, after that. So if the Rockets can just win the games they're supposed to win, and oh my goodness, if if they would just quit blowing these huge leads. I mean, I, I just tell you, when Lonnie Walker, the fourth, started throwing up those threes, I, I just got this sinking feeling in my stomach. I, mean, I already wasn't feeling well, as I mentioned. And it's like, they're they're fixing to come back and make a game of this, and they may even win it. And by golly, that's what they did. Just to be clear, Bryce Harper, the exact opposite of Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> oh, I know that. I'm, I'm just saying in, in regards to presence. Yeah, well, clutch factor. Uh, yeah, one clutch guy's, factor, sure. One guy's loud and vocal and gets on people's nerves. The other guy's pretty quiet. But uh, let's go to the Texans. One thing we didn't discuss about the Texans, Stephen, was the crowd at NRG. I, I couldn't perceive this on TV, but I was told by one of our listeners that half the crowd was Patriots fans. Is there anything that gets these Texans fans to show up to NRG outside of winning a Super Bowl? You know, I thought it was curious, Robert, that when the Patriots would make a good play, I, I could hear the Patriots crowd yeah. when I was listening to the game, and it was very loud. I mean, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, wait, how many Patriots fans are in that stadium? I thought we were playing this at NRG, not in Foxborough. So I did notice that as well. And I just don't feel, and, and again, this may be because I'm not there at the game, but I just feel like in, in a lot of the big games, you know, we, we've talked about this before with the Texans this season, even at the Colts game. It just doesn't seem like the fans were loud. I, I noticed there were several times when um, the Texans defense had to kind of signal the crowd, hey, get louder, get noisy. You know, when, when you have to do that constantly, isn't that on your crowd that they should be really into this game? And I mean, for, for goodness sake, it was the Patriots. It cracks me up that Bill O'Brien calls this a football town right now. I just, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, this is a baseball town because the Astros crowd far, far better. Even the Rockets crowd, I think is, is better at this point than the Texans. The Texans crowd, I, I just, I'm, I'm not impressed with them anymore. It used to be a good crowd. I think, uh, a few years ago, but I think it's, it's worn on this crowd. What's, what's happened with the franchise. And there's just a general, I think a general, malaise you know it's that's the best word i can think of malaise with with the texans what's funny about that robert is that you know several years ago i and and of course a lot of the media was critical of the rockets fans a they weren't showing up that well and b they just weren't very loud i mean it's funny how things change and the same with the astros fans of course they had a good excuse because the astros were losing for so many years but uh yeah it's it's funny how the the texans fans have, have almost seemed you know, I don't know if cynical is the right word. I mean, they're into it. You can hear them, but it's just not the kind of loudness that you would hear, you know, in, in other stadiums, I think. And the team is winning. I mean, they're eight and four. They're in first in the AFC South. It's not like they're four and eight. I, I just, I, it, it it's funny how it just seems that there's at least a certain level of apathy. I don't know if it's a, well, let's wait and see when the playoffs get here, just because the Texans typically haven't gone deep into the playoffs like with with Bill O'Brien as coach. I don't know, but it is interesting, but I could sure hear those Patriots fans when they would make a great play. This is interesting. If the Texans win their last four games, which you know I honestly doubt, but it's possible. It's possible. If they win out, they've got a shot at a first-round bye in the playoffs. They would need the Patriots to lose two games. The Patriots, though, they've got the Chiefs this week and the Bills in Week 16, so... It's not crazy. It's not crazy in the way things have been going. And, uh, of course, you know, you have to hope the Ravens kind of stumble a little bit, too, although it, it doesn't look like they will. But, 
Yeah, I don't know, Robert. The, the one thing that scares me, and I know we talked about this on the Texans post game podcast, they seem to have this kind of a letdown, and it's just human nature. You're going to have a letdown to some degree after such a big win that they had against the Patriots. But even if they have to win ugly, they've got to beat teams like the Broncos, like the Buccaneers. Now, they do have the Titans twice, and I think the, the way Tennessee's playing, those are going to be really tough games to watch. I think at the beginning of the season, we weren't tabbing them to be really difficult games, but the way the Titans have come on lately with Ryan Tannehill, those games are going to be more difficult than you think. So, yeah, I don't know that the Texans are going to win out. They're bound to stumble again the way they've been. You know, they'll, they'll have a, a loss and then a couple wins and then a loss and then a couple wins. It seems like that's been the pattern, but – if they're going to be that top seed or near the top seed and get that by, they need to break that pattern and win, I would say, at least three of these next four games. If for some reason this is the first time you're listening, we're going to have the postgame show uh, on Sunday. We do every postgame show with the Texans, uh, so keep an eye out for that. Did you see the clowny thing this week? He said some things about how the, it all ended in Houston. Did you catch that? I did catch that. It was on NFL.com. And, uh, yeah, basically, Clowney uh, kind of says the reverse of what we've been led to believe by Bill O'Brien and, and the Texans. He said he never wanted to leave the Texans, that he intended to sign that one-year tender, but he was only going to do it at the start of the regular season. He said reports about him wanting to be traded were, he basically said, you know, they, they were lies. So, yeah, he's basically doing a reverse now. I find it interesting this late in the season how it suddenly comes out. Right, and what's interesting is the the quote he said it was getting close to the time I said I'd come in. All of a sudden, O'Brien called me and said, "You need to come in and talk to us." When I got there, they're talking about me signing the tender and going to the Dolphins via trade. They said it'll be good for you and good for us. I'm like, good for me. They're they're going to tank the season for a damn quarterback. Find me a team that can win, and I'll sign the tender. And people say he was trying to leave. That's a lie, Clowney says. I didn't ask them to trade me. I didn't even ask them to pay me anymore. I just wanted to play one last year with my teammates. But hey, it's part of the business. It's a business move. I got the short end of the stick at the time. But then Clowney says, now it looks like I got the big end of the stick. <laughs> well, gee, I can't imagine why. I mean, it's not like his team is, you know, 10 and 2 and you know, they're in first place. I mean, they're doing really well. So, you know, I guess all it was well that ends well for both sides. But, you know, it clearly was a distraction throughout the whole offseason into the preseason. And, uh, yeah, it is a business, and these things just happen. And at the time, you know, we're saying, wow, the Texans sure didn't get much for him. Now, now the whole Miami thing, I mean, we knew about that sometime after it had come out that they tried to trade him to the Dolphins. And Connie said, no, I'm not going there. So, you know, but I, clearly both sides, I, I think – it goes back to what I said earlier in an earlier podcast that I really felt like the Texans should have traded him sooner when they knew they weren't going to re-sign him to that extension, that they didn't feel he was worth it. And Clowney's, you know, he's having an okay season. He has 28 tackles, uh, six TFLs. He's got three sacks. He's got a pick six, four forced fumbles. I mean, it's not like he hasn't shown up, but he's certainly not what I would say elite superstar caliber status that's going to command a lot of money that the Texans would have paid him. Part of it, I think, is just they would want to allocate the money somewhere else. They're going to have to allocate it to some other guys. I want to talk about some of those guys that they're going to allocate it to in a, in a bit. But one of our listeners, Brian, asked if J.J. Watt would be in football shape if his first game isn't until the playoffs. Well, because it's not a back or leg injury like his other ones, he's working out 
like normal and should be ready. And Steven, the only thing I can say that be different is we may not see him play as many downs if he's, you know, around come playoff time because game shape, it's a little different than workout shape. Yeah, it absolutely is. But I'll tell you what, when you have players like J.J. Watt on your roster, I'll take a little bit of J.J. Watt as opposed to a lot of someone else. And and I think that if he has a chance to play, you absolutely are going to see him in there, even if it's in limited action. Brian also asked if uh, the Texans need to sign D.J. Reader. My answer, absolutely. He'd be the second priority behind Bradley Roby, who's an absolute must. Obviously, they'll need to work on that extension for Tunsil, too. But, Stephen, back to Reader. Even though he's great, I don't think you'll be breaking the bank because nose tackles eh, tend not to be that expensive. I, I believe only 16 NFL teams actually have a nose tackle, so it's easier when there's not as much competition to sign those players. Yeah, I think you have to go with by position. And I think, if, I mean, if you want to make him the highest paid nose tackle, that's one thing, but I certainly wouldn't overpay for someone like that, like I would say a Laramie Tunsil you know, someone who you've got to have that left tackle position anchored. I mean, that's why you made the trade in the first place and gave up so much for him. I think they should extend Reader, absolutely. He's having a Pro Bowl caliber season. I mean, if he doesn't make the Pro Bowl, there's definitely some injustice there. He's been consistent throughout. But, yeah, you do have some other guys that you're going to have to to wrap up. And the Texans have the salary cap room. But that's why I think they, they've been very hesitant. You know, that's why they weren't going to give Clowney that kind of a deal. They had. They knew they had some of these other guys coming up that if they had good seasons, that they were going to start earmarking some of that money toward them. And Reader is one of those. Yeah, I think there's just there was just part. I mean, going back to the Clowney deal, there's part partly the danger that he kind of checks out maybe this year or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe it it becomes a distraction. You know, just him being on a franchise tag or something like that. I mean, if you're Bill O'Brien, you know, Clowney. Maybe ever all of us have got it wrong from the outside looking in. But, you know, he appears to be somebody that if, you know, if if they're going to say something in public that you don't want, it would be Jadavian Clowney. And so I, and I definitely did see him keeping him around next year. Like I said, Stephen, because you've got to pay Tunsil. I mean, that, that they, of course, that move, I don't even think was made by that. Yeah, it wasn't made by that point. But he knew that he was going to have to start investing in some offensive linemen and you're going to have to pay. Uh, some you know get to get some cornerbacks because uh, that's been a problem since uh, you know I don't know like years ago I mean we've got to go back to the when Jonathan Joseph was in his prime and 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 Kareem Jackson was in his prime to really look at it so there and Deshaun that's the big thing let's be honest Deshaun's the big one that's coming up absolutely you've got to lock him up and you know they're going to they're certainly not going to let him get away so that's where the record deal is probably going to come in if there's going to be one and as far as Clowney I mean, it, it obviously, you know, a lot of the questions, too, well, how intense is he going to be knowing that this is probably going to be his last year? Maybe not that he would tank necessarily, but, I mean, as you can see, as as we just talked about his stats a little while ago, they're good, but they're not great. They're, they're not the kind of elite status that you're going to want to pay somebody or even throw the franchise tag at him again next year. And so, yeah, I just, I mean, the whole clowny thing, I, I, I it doesn't surprise me at all that he's come out now. And saying some of these things, who knows who's, you know, it's a he said, she said kind of thing, or he said, he said, I guess in this case. So really, it wasn't too surprising that all of a sudden he's finally decided to talk and uh, and say what his version of what happened. Last thing I got, and this is Astros, Zach Wheeler. I don't know if any, if everybody saw this, but Zach Wheeler, he's getting $100 million offers from several different teams 
not the Astros. The Astros, we know they're not going to pay Zach Wheeler $100 million, Stephen. And I think, you know, when you look at it, I mean, you got to invest that money in trash cans, right? Yeah, absolutely. And more cameras. You know, you, yeah. you're going to have to, you know, now that you're getting caught, you're going to have to make them tinier and you got to find different places to hide them. But no, seriously, I don't think that bodes well for the Astros, especially if they were even thinking about keeping Garrett Cole. You know, if you're giving Zach Wheeler $100 million, and, and I think we knew this going in, Garrett Cole is going to be a whole lot higher than that just because of the value he's offered and that's kind of season he had in 2019. Did we talk about the new catcher that they signed? We did not. No, we, we, we did not talk about the new catcher. Okay, they, they get the kid from the A's. What, do you remember what, what, what's up? I'm, I'm trying now. I'm trying to, I'm blanking on his name now. I mean, yeah. I'm not terrible. Yeah, me I, too. I'm totally blanking on his name. They, they did this last week, actually. Um, I mean, he's barely hitting around the Mendoza line. Yeah, I'm totally blanking on the guy's name now. But yeah, if you look at him, he's he's coming over from the A's. Uh, you can look that up right. while I'm talking. But I mean, it, he's a guy that basically his OPS, his numbers are roughly in his career. They're a Chirinos or, you know, maybe I, a Maldonado type numbers. I, I guess my, my th- thing is like, I don't know what they see in him uh, or just the, the fact that they're really worried about overpaying for Chirinos because you know, I, I would assume you'd want Trinos to stick around. I, I can't imagine anybody's going to offer him a ton of money. And Verlander loves the guy. So I don't know if you want to get rid of him. And he was such a good veteran and he performed in the playoffs. Uh, you know, what he what pitch he knew was coming and what, what he didn't know is a, maybe another story. But he performed in the playoffs on the road. So we know we know that was at the video cameras, maybe on the road that they were using at homes. I don't know. But the other thing is, Maldonado, I mean, I just like having Maldonado. He's the perfect backup. I mean, that's exactly who you want. I don't know what this, you know, what this kid's like as a defensive player. I, I didn't see a whole lot about him, but Maldonado has won a gold glove and and he's just he's that perfect bench catcher. I, I just I like him and, and and shouldn't be cheap either. I mean, shouldn't be expensive. He shouldn't be expensive. And yeah, as far as Maldonado, I mean, his defense is really what it is, is so attractive about him. And you know, with Torinos, you know, certainly Justin Verlander likes him. He's been his catcher all year. But, I mean, they're, they're two quality catchers, but but they clearly need an upgrade, though. I, I just, you know, even with those two guys, if they just came back, I, you know, the, the catching position, especially from an offensive standpoint, yeah, both catchers did show up in the postseason as far as from the offensive side, a little bit of power here. But, you know, clearly from a consistency standpoint, Catching is one of those positions the Astros need to go after. So, yeah, I, I mean, it certainly hasn't solved the problem. And, and we're not even sure that the one they acquired is even going to make the team. I mean, he's he may be lucky just to be a backup, maybe even be sent to the minor leagues when the season starts. So I, I wouldn't get too excited about the fact that that's, that's really the only move that they've made so far as far as acquiring. And, of course, the other bit of Astros news, Robert, that they did not tender – the contract of Aaron, uh, Aaron Sanchez. Yeah. You get, uh, you get a guy that, you know, you hope is going to be something, but then the injury, he might be out for the entire year. I think that that's a big part of it. Dustin Garneau is the guy that we were Dustin Garneau. Yeah. I just was trying to look that up is Dustin Garneau. Yeah. That's the guy we were blanking on and his, you know, a 757 OPS and 101 major league plate appearances last season. Uh, he had a 907 OPS in 34 games in the PCL too, whatever that's worth. But yeah, I mean he's 32 years old. Uh, I, I, you know, may, maybe you're right. Maybe he's just a, maybe he's somebody that they're just signing as a, 
some, they could stick him in the minor leagues if, if they are able to bring back Chirinos and, and Maldonado. It's just like an insurance policy. I, I, you know, I, I, obviously, Garrett Stubbs is not a guy that they're really sold on. No, I don't think so. I mean, you've seen flashes from him, but certainly nothing that you can get excited about. So it's something to keep an eye on. And, you know, the winter meeting's coming up. And uh, throughout the offseason, you know, maybe they'll try to sign another catcher. But, yeah, I think it was t- certainly for depth purposes as far as uh, Dustin Garneau is concerned. That's all I got. You got anything else? Well, just uh, real quickly, uh, you know, with me being here in Austin, of course, I've been uh, kind of on top of uh, the changes that the Longhorns made. Tom Herman sure didn't wait till after the bowl season to make changes as, uh, of course, Todd Orlando. Everybody's been, you know, they've been all bad on Todd Orlando. Well, they should be happy because he got fired. His offensive coordinator uh, basically had uh, stripped of his play calling duties, which is kind of funny because he wasn't calling plays anyway. He was demoted. Uh, another receivers coach, I think, was demoted, reassigned. So Tom Herman definitely making some changes. It's been kind of a diff- uh, disappointing season in college football here in Texas, unless you're maybe a Baylor Bears fan. I guess you're feeling pretty excited about being in the Big 12 championship game against uh, Oklahoma this coming weekend. But A&M has been disappointing. Texas has been disappointing. U of H, Rice, I mean, they came on with their last three games being wins, but yeah, the college football season hasn't been a whole lot to write about if you're a fan of Texas. Todd Orlando, do you remember that he was like almost in the conversation to be the U of H head coach when Tom Herman left? Yeah, he was. Absolutely. And and then, of course, you know, when Tom went to Texas, he basically lured in. He and Orlando, of course, are friends. So, there, you know, there was actually some surprise in the Austin media that Herman actually did make that move. But I honestly think he didn't have a choice. If he had just made a couple of minor adjustments to his coaching staff, I, I, he would have been burned to the, at the stake as far as UT fans and alumni were concerned. They were screaming and yelling for Orlando's head and just making changes. So if Tom Herman wanted to keep his job, which I think he would have certainly after this year, no matter what he did. But next year, if they have that kind of a see, I mean, the pressure's really on Herman now. If they have another six, seven and five, six and six type season, uh, I don't care how great Tom Herman was before he got to Texas, you know, that, that kind of thing sours in a hurry when you have three or four years to turn a program around and you don't. You know, I, I kind of wanted the U of H to hire Todd Orlando because I didn't want to lose what he was doing defensively because he, he was the best defensive coach that they'd had at U of H over probably the last, you know, 20 or 30 years I mean, with results. I mean, yeah, the, the, Ed Oliver was around at that time. That helps you a ton. But, I mean, just overall, they looked really good when he was there. And it's so much harder, I thought, to find a guy that's going to coach a team defensively and, and and figure out things defensively in college football these days. It seems like there's all of these offensive gurus, you know, everywhere you look. So I, that's what I thought at the time. Oh, absolutely. And even his first year at Texas, he did a, a pretty good job defensively. It was this past year. I mean, they were toward the bottom in the nation. I mean, it was one of the worst defensive performances all season than I've seen from any team at any level. I'm talking college, NFL, doesn't matter. Now, yeah, you can point. They, they did have a lot of injuries like the Texans did in the secondary. But overall, they just shouldn't have been that bad defensively. And that certainly cost them in a lot of games. I mean, think about it. If their defense had even been decent in the LSU game, LSU wouldn't be unbeaten right now. Texas would have won that game because they were certainly in position to do so. So yeah, Tartalando at U of H, and they certainly wouldn't have had to pay wouldn't have had to pay all the money they did Dana Holgerson 
would have saved some money and <laughs> gotten a pretty darn good coach more than likely, but who knows? Well, I hope everybody enjoys their weekend. And of course, don't forget, we got the post-game show on Sunday. Tons of stuff going on in, in uh, Houston sports these days. It, it just never ends. So join us a- again. But in- until then, have a great weekend, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.